0: Alhamdulillah Alimina Salatu Wasallam So very interesting uh, session, inshallah, we're gonna have this evening. Uh, we have with us uh, Brother Sidki, a dear friend of mine, and subhanAllah, he brought some tea. I was telling me how he I was telling him how I thought, oh, I'm gonna go grab some water for him uh, on the way up. Uh, you know, he's our guest coming through, at least we can get him some water. And then dude comes out and he pulls out from his tip like a proper tea, and he's like, We're having peppermint tea because we're having an interview and conversation. <laughs> Subhanallah, so he's totally checkmated me there, mashallah, may Allah bless you. Um, So, it's going to be very interesting because this is a topic I haven't seen really discussed in the Muslim space, and I haven't seen discussed often even outside the Muslim spaces. This is not something we necessarily even learn in school, at least I didn't learn in school growing up. Um... And a lot of people have recognized the importance of this particular formative period of our life, of our childhood, of the events that have occurred, the formative events that have happened, the relationships that we've had, our first relationships, so our relationship with our parents. uh, And oftentimes people have wonky relationships with their parents. It's up and down, it's difficult, it's stressful. Some people have abuse, whether that's physical or verbal or emotional or neglect. Um, Other people, they may have had very awful early relationships with friends, betrayal, uh, humiliation, uh, being made to seem insignificant, being made to be self-conscious about a particular aspect about yourself, about your appearance. There's all these things that happen when we're very young. And we often underestimate the power of those moments on everything else that happens after us. Uh, and a lot of the things in our relationships and problems in our relationships, in our relationship dynamics, particularly romantic relationships, can actually be traced back to those early formative experiences. So that's a very interesting conversation that I'm interested in learning about more uh, with our brother here, uh, Sidki, who spent some years uh, studying this topic. Uh, and myself, uh, my master's was actually in child maltreatment. It was in child abuse, actually. Um, and... Uh, Interestingly, uh, we know so much in our literature of the physical effects, the psychological effects, the sociological effects, like health effects of abuse. Um, Like we're talking about heart disease, we're talking about inflammatory diseases, all these things. There's actually a link between those early formative experiences if they're very negative and your actual physical health. So this is something that uh, is a very important topic. I want to start off by introducing this as the way Muslims should always look to any topic And that's by looking to our own tradition as Muslims uh, what, is, uh, you know, what are some things that we can learn from, from our own Torah, from our own tradition, from our own heritage About this particular very niche and specific issue So interestingly, we have a quote from Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, who wrote a book about children and childhood actually And a lot of the ahkam, the fiqh rulings that go towards children but in it, he makes this very interesting statement where he says, some of the people of knowledge have said that the parents will be asked about their treatment of the child before the child is asked about the treatment of the parent. Now I want you guys to let that sink in. We've all heard the khutbahs and the speeches about wali walidain, about respect for our parents, about taking care of our parents, about being good to our parents. About not saying uff to our parents أُفْ Don't even say uff to them when they're in their old age It may give you a bit of grief We've heard about the significance of this And we know about the significance of this wa ta'abdu illa wa bil wali Allah says He has decreed that you worship none but Him And be good to your parents Right after your relationship with Allah Then it is the parents And there's so many ahadith and ayat of the Qur'an that speak about the importance of being good to parents. But Ibn Qayyim comes and he says, but wait a second. Actually, the treatment of the child on the Day of Judgment will come first. And he brings forth different ayat that explain that actually the children have a right as well to be brought up in a way that is pure, that is blessed, with good education, with good tarbiyah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says قر- قرآن, in the Quran, Ya anyone know which surah this is? The you're a not surah this is? Ya not yet, mashallah. May Allah bring it soon, mashaaatubarakallah. You got it. You beat all the huffad that are actually here, so that's very good, Alhamdulillah. Surah this tahrim. Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "O oh you who believe, save yourselves, qoo anfusakum, wa ahlikum naura, and your families from the fire." So from this command, we learn that it's actually a command from Allah that. If you have a family, if you have children Then your job and your goal is to actually bring them up in a way That they will be saved from hellfire as well And so that includes having a loving relationship That includes bringing them up for them to be psychologically mature and stable So that they can actually be productive people in society So that they can conduct good deeds and good a'mal We also learn from the hadith of course in Sahih Bukhari that all of you are shepherds For your own flock And so the shepherd will be asked Concerning his flock So we know here of course then That the parents will be asked Regarding the treatment of the child And of course we have uh, From the uh, narrations that come to us uh, The hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi That uh, whoever does not show Rahmah to our children And does not Show respect to our elderly Then they are not from us And there are multiple companions That narrate this particular hadith Which tells us its importance But look at this key term that's used towards the child If a person does not Deal with the children with rahmah Then the Prophet Said they are not from us And as Sufyan Sufyan, Thawri and others have said It means they are not like us or they don't follow our way; they're not following the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu And now, the final hadith I want us to really reflect on is a hadith uh, that's also in Sahih Bukhari, the hadith of Abu Hurairah a very interesting hadith about the fitra. So this is the hadith that introduces us to the fitrah that's described in the Quran. So Abu Hurairah narrates that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam said, "Ma min ma min illa yuladu al fitra." That there is no newborn except that they're born upon the fitra. And it is the parents that turn them into a Christian or into a Jewish person. Now, this is a very interesting way to look at this because we understand that the newborn is born upon a certain fitra, a certain configuration a certain way that if they were to be grown up and nurtured in the appropriate way, they would develop naturally beliefs about God, beliefs about themselves, about the world, about the, you know, about uh, worshiping God and these sorts of things. This is what would come forward naturally. And they would be on this way, this natural way. But the parents can swerve and distort this natural configuration that's in the human being, in the fitrah. And I want us to remember this when we talk then about how early childhood experiences can actually result in attachment injuries that can maladaptively rewire the way that you see yourself in the world and others and the way you relate to others. Well similarly, you can have fitra injuries, which is what this hadith is describing. That you have an injury to your fitra based on your upbringing based on the way that your parents bring you up. So, so important is the parent that literally, it can determine a person's religion and their way of life, of course, as we understand. So the fitrah is something that's really pure and wholesome that we want to keep and nurture in the child. And it's not just in regards to your beliefs, or your ideology. Your fitrah is everything about you. The fitra is the entire mental, you can say, software, that will allow a person to flourish in this world. And when this fitra is injured, through the parents as the hadith describes Then it can manifest in many different ways Maladaptively in your actual religion and your beliefs in relationship with Allah But also, maybe not that But with everything else So, let's inshallah uh, Shift gears and talk about Particularly childhood experiences And upbringing from family And these sorts of things And the way that a person Will be in terms of their relationship with others Weaknesses, insecurities, fears And I want us to think about The story of Musa alayhi salam. The story of Musa alayhi salam. Now interestingly, the story of Musa alayhi salam, is a large story in the Quran, right? It starts from when literally he's a little child Being put into the river And it ends with him, you know, going through the deserts with Bani Israel Now, Musa alayhi salam, what's interesting in the way the Quran tells the story There's a very clear and apparent theme of fear in the story of Musa, of khawf What do I mean by that? Musa, throughout the story, Allah describes Musa as being fearful, of being afraid. At almost every level of that story, especially the first part of that story, before they're saved from the Bani Israel, but even after that, the first thing that when Musa is in this presence of Allah, he. He runs away when he's seeing all these Incredible miracles and he's seeing the snake And Allah says ya Musa, la Don't be afraid Musa. Inni la khafu laday that verily The messengers of Allah Are not afraid in my presence So fear is here Then Musa السلام, When he is told of his mission To go to Firaun What does he say Inni an I'm afraid they're going to reject me. And I'm afraid they're going to kill me. And in fact, he describes his weaknesses to Allah, and how he's not fit for the job. And he says, My tongue, it gets tied sometimes, I get angry, and there's some uh, statements that mention about an impediment in these sorts of things. And so he asks for a support from Harun So you see this fear and this feeling of inadequacy, with Musa Then after that Then Allah says Don't be afraid you two I will be with you Hearing and seeing So you see this coaching From Allah to Musa In regards to his fear So then Musa comes to Fir'aun And Musa says to Fir'aun When Fir'aun brings up Oh didn't you kill someone And you ran away etc etc وفعلت ف... فعلتك uh... فعلت you did that thing that you did? You know that thing? He didn't say exactly. It's a way of making him nervous. Like, oh, I'm not gonna say it in front of everyone, but you know what you did. And so Musa السلام, says that, yes, fa'altuha, idha wa ana min And he says, minkum, lamma khiftukum. I ran from you. I ran away, Fafarartu. I ran, I fled away, I fled. Lamma khiftukum. When I was afraid of you. When I was afraid. Which tells us that Musa was afraid of Fir'aun. Now, where did this fear come from? And this internalization of fear? Think about which household did Musa grow up in? Was it a loving family household? He grew up in the fa- literally the household of Fir'aun. We like to say, don't be like a Fir'aun in your home. Literally, Fir'aun was the quote unquote father figure. And imagine seeing the narcissism, the arrogance, the uh, controllingness, the control freak, the power-hungry, the God-complex. Imagine seeing the insecurities of Fir'aun as well. The abuse, the abuse towards the women. And in fact, the one positive relationship he would have had would be with Asiya, one of the greatest women. And now he has to witness that one light that's there in the palace of Fir'aun which was really a dungeon and a prison, that one light, he sees what Fir'aun does with her. The abuse and abuse and abuse until literally he, she, the, she's killed in the most brutal of ways. This is the early formative experience of Musa. A.s. And look at the effect on Musa. The fear that he had constantly. And he says it when he's going to Fir'aun. that. I was afraid of you. I had this fear of you. But of course, being a messenger and going through what Allah got him through, then that fear kind of is starting to come about. At this point, Musa is starting to confront his fear. Now, later in the story, the confrontation with the magicians, the showdown with the magicians. Can you imagine like, you know, we get nervous when we see like a sporting event and we're supporting a team, the cricket was just on, right? And everyone's nervous, right? Like, oh, oh my goodness, right? You're thinking, Oh, who's going to win? And the consequences are literally nothing. At the end of it, win or lose, you're happy for a bit, or you're sad for a bit, and then khalas, you go back to normal. There's zero consequence on anything, right? Or when there's a big fight, and the Muslim is fighting this person, and Habib's fighting McGregor, and these sorts of things, and you're like, he's saying this. The, you, I don't understand the nerve. Can you imagine the nerves with Musa alayhi at that moment? He's not a trained magician. This is not his field. And in fact, when the magicians throw their sticks and they're doing their magic, what does Allah describe Musa at that moment? Despite everything he's seen and witnessed before, he's a human being. Fa'ujasafinafsihi He felt fear at that moment. Again, and then he's told, "Don't be afraid. You're going to be on top. You're going to be al aala You're going to be the one on top." And then, Subhanallah, full circle moment. After all this and everything like this, then when he is escaping from Fir'aun, it is the Bani Israel, who are expressing the fears to Musa, and they say, Qala Musa, inna when they're there at the sea, and they see behind them the forces of Fira'un. They said, We're certainly going to be taken away. It's over, it's finished. Game over. They're saying all this stuff. And it is Musa alayhi at that point. With that, he says instinctively, Kalla, not at all. Inna Sayyidin. Certainly, my lord. Is with me and he will soon guide Allahu Akbar. The journey of Musa salam, from that moment when he first was, became a prophet, to becoming courageous and fearless at that particular moment, which was the most fearful part of the entire story. But that's the point where Musa alayhi salam shows that courage. Allahu Akbar. Now, this is a beautiful story, but it's also a story very relevant to what we're talking about because it's a story of overcoming trauma. Overcoming the trauma that he experienced in those early childhood moments of literally being grown up in the household of Fir'aun And being able to overcome all those things that are there And that is a very beautiful point for us to reflect on and validation from our sources as well That this is an area that we sh- deserves our reflection and our understanding So inshallah ta'ala uh, will uh, have with us um, uh, Sidki in fact, usually you guys, you wanna wear this one, or do you wanna this one? Oh, I'll yeah,
1: one,
0: yeah. that one. It's fine. Bismillah. <coughs> right. Bismillah, yeah. yes. Excellent, okay. So, a lot of people here, some of you may be oh, familiar with you and the kind of work that you do with the community and the men's circle and these sorts of things. But just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your interest in this field and kind of your journey.
1: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> Assalamu'alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
0: Thank you for the tea.
1: Well, when, and when uh, Brother Zuhair said, um, we're going to change the format a little bit to, be, to become more conversational rather than a workshop kind of conversations, so I said, okay, let me bring tea. Uh, just make it informal, make it conversational, right? Um, just imagine that we having, we're in a cafe kind of thing and we're just having a conversation together. Is that okay? Cool.
0: <laughs> they don't have any tea though. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So they you have probably. to imagine. <laughs> yeah, just to imagine,
1: visualize it, right? Um, now before I go into these conversations and before I introduce myself, etc., one of the things that I like to ask from the audience is two things. One is approach the conversation with curiosity and having a self-reflection moment. Okay. When I um, I'm gonna share a few stories uh, from myself and from my own journey and also from uh, a few of my clients which I have approval of sharing the stories to you tonight, yeah? So when I share my stories, have a self-reflection moment in terms of, okay, this is what I've been through, etc. So approach it with curiosity, approach it with compassion, okay? And second uh, standard that I usually like to ask from the audience is, um, uh, contributions and connection. So when when we ask for a you know insights, uh, questions, etc., uh, please feel free to to jump in. Again, this is a very informal conversation between us. Yeah. Um, all right. So first of all, uh, my name is Sidki. Um, I'm actually uh, still a full time professional working in a mining company, in a global mining company in the city. Um, so this is something that I love to do as part of my personal search uh, since, the, uh, since three years ago. Um, by starting asking the questions of what is the legacy that I want to leave behind. I've been working all this, you know, all this time uh, in, a, in a in a global corporate environment since I was in Melbourne, moving to Perth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and what have I done? Um, what can I say to, to Allah later on? You know, I can't say, you know, I've been working, um, for a multi-million dollar contracts, et cetera, et cetera, but then I haven't left behind in terms of my akhirah. So I've been searching in terms of, okay, what, what do I love to speak about? What do I love to do? Um, that even if I need to, to, to do this for free, I would love to do so for the entire, um, uh you know the entirety of my life then i came across a hadith on you know the the three things that that will be left behind after we passed away one is uh knowledge that is beneficial to people second is the 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 sadaka the the amajariya and the third one is children that will um, pray for the parents pray for us after we die and I took that as my own personal mission. You know what? I want to be the best parents that I can be for my kids, and I want to be able to help parents to be more connected to themselves, and then help nurture that uh, relationship with with their, their own children. Um, and from from there, it, it was it was a little bit of you know. Um, going around um, some sort of a a different kind of circles and and, and on all that until I found, you know, this is the one thing that I want to to do uh, in terms of uh, uh, building emotional intimacy within families. Um, Enable families to heal, individuals to heal, um, and parents to heal from their own trauma so they can have a deeper relationships with their children. And from that point on, they, the, the children will be able to be more uh, fully functional adults in the society that not only uh, intellectually um, you know, capable, not only physically capable, but also emotionally connected with people, right? with, with, with all the aspects of the relationships. Um, so that's, that's where my journey starts, so three years ago. Um, and, and 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 this is something that is still you know work in progress, still ongoing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so, outside of my corporate role, I'm still uh, I'm, I'm doing uh, one-on-one coaching with my uh, primary with parents, clients, uh, mothers, fathers, and also do um, personal or group conversations with primarily with with men uh, in terms of. Um, for men to be able to come together in a the, in the container, in a safe container, to have a conversations about their personal challenges. Because we usually men are very disconnected from talking about emotions, from talking about our own challenges in life. And that's coming from my own personal um, journey uh, throughout you know throughout my life. That whenever I have challenges in my life, I always say to people, and said to to my families and my you know my uh, my parents and and all that, uh, are you okay, you know I uh, said, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm fine." But then deep inside, I was actually there's many times that I feel depressed and crumbled, et cetera, et etc. so that's that's where my my journey starts.
0: Gisacques La for sharing that. and it's a very inspiring journey, uh, and I think it's something for everyone to really take with them as well. I think a lot of people here are going to go into corporate and they're going to school and they think, okay, that's my life then now, that's it. But you yourself working, corporate job, you know, the nine to five grind as they say, but still kind of being able to find the time and the passion, and I think that's so important. Uh, And that's the way our community will really grow when we have people like, I mean, it'd be such a huge waste if you just focused all your time with your companies there and Alhamdulillah, Aspect of you And everyone has an aspect of us That is beyond our work Like what we do for work Uh, There's always something else that's there That's a talent and a skill And something that As you said very eloquently You wouldn't mind doing for free That's good because we're not paying you for this as well by the way (laughs) But uh, I think that that's so important uh, And I think that's a message that I really I'm always trying to instill in the young people here Especially here in Brisbane Is to really think about this What do you want to contribute to the ummah or to the greater Ummah, to humanity at large It doesn't have to be something specific to the Muslim community Anything of benefit That can, you can bring to other people And that's something that we will always Stand behind and support Zak khairan Question now What are those connections We spoke a lot about now uh, you know, Even last week And now now as well here with the story of Musa, etc et That there is clearly A link between what happens when we're children, and the parenting styles, and the way our parents dealt with us, when we misbehaved, when we showed anger, when we showed emotion, when we were out of line maybe, when we, you know, and there was ways in which they decide, they, you know, and, and, and this is important as well, before I go on on disclaimer, as you said, approach with compassion, right? And that's so important when it comes to our parents. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm making differentiation between like hardcore abuse, which is obviously something different and very difficult and challenging, but versus obviously uh, good intentions, but mil- you know not not really uh, not really well executed or acted in a way that was very detrimental to us. That was actually something that might have been uh, very maladaptive, uh, but we still re- respond with that compassion, as Allah says in the Quran, right? Uh, ولا تنحرهما تنهر, we so show that humility and whatnot. But that does not mean that we then have to accept everything that was done as if they were uh, they were like the Prophet, and they did nothing wrong and these sorts of things. So it's important for us to be able to go into this. So the question is, what are the, what are those ways, what do you think are the key ways in your experience with your clients? What are those key ways, the main ones you can say that these are the... Uh, the formative ex- moments that explain a lot of kind of negative outcomes later in life in people's relationships and on. This is a broad question, mm, but you can take mm. it however you wish, inshallah.
1: Yeah. Um, let me tell you a story first. Um, so around last year, I was starting to get, become, you know, starting to... One, one other thing about, about healing process is we need to be able to gain awareness of our own pattern, Okay. Now, last year, I started to realize that I get very agitated and triggered whenever my kids were screaming and shouting in the, in the bathroom. And it's not only get triggered with, you know, oh, I, you know, I need to, it's it triggered in a, in a way that I need to go to the bathroom to, to collect them ASAP or I ask my wife, you know, can you just please get them, they're in the bathroom and they're screaming. And I started to reflect, and I like, why am I so feeling triggered? It's not only in the mind or in the, in the verbalizations, of it, but actually feeling it within the body, right? I feel very anxious. I feel very, like, you know, something tingling in, in, in the fingers and all that kind of stuff, right? And then I, I reflect back. I, I journal them. I'm I trying to uh, do a self reflection moment, and I never realize that when I was little, around their age, around five, six, four-year-old, whenever I showed my heavy emotions, my parents would um, lock me in the bathroom until I self-soothed, turn off the light, and then I scream and I shout, you know, please let me out. I have a, a a beautiful relationship with my with my parents. I, I I thought that I have forgotten about them, forgotten about those um, you know events in the past. So that's part, that's one. Um, and then I'll I'll, I'll go into the, uh, the the content a little bit more. And then the the other one is um, my my uh, three this is three years ago, and and I do self reflection again afterwards. Um, my daughter uh, accidentally left the car key in the car and then accidentally locked in my two-year-old or three-year-old in the car. Um, and then suddenly I get mm. very anxious. I was screaming and I was like, you know, just panicked. And and then I did my self-reflection in, during, uh, you know, last year or so and then realized again, um, there was a time I almost forgotten from my memory. There was a time that my dad left me in the car for, I don't know, half an hour or whatever the case. Maybe I was crying, I locked in, right? And again, consciously, I forget about that and I forgive my dad for that. Now, the thing about emotion is um, uh, trauma. Uh, uh, last week I mentioned trauma is a uh, you know a, a, an overwhelming experience in the absence of um, an empathic listener, so no one was able to to sit down with you and go through the the experience that you have okay so the 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 emotional reaction was still oops the emotional reaction was still <laughs> being <laughs> stored sorry. So the emotional and the thing about emotion is emotion is an, an energy in motions. So what's happening is because I don't have anyone to have an, uh, you know to have that conversation to so allow me to, to you know to to talk about it and allow me to to you know process that. That is being trapped in the body. That being trapped in the within my memory, within the system, within the nervous system. Okay. Um, so that's what happened. Now there will be uh, cases. There will be um, cases where, from 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 the historical experience that you have with your own parents, that you may have, you know, you you may have um, forgive them about it. You make excuses about it, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, it's still stored within the nervous system, and it's still being stored. Becoming part of your patterns right so um, so that that's basically uh, you know um, what what trauma is what what the what ex- childhood experience can bring about to our life right one of the things that I realized about my own personal journey in terms of corporate for example it was a way for me to gain validation from my parents not because i choose to that i choose this particular career pathway because you know i love doing what i do now i love doing what i do I don't don't you know don't um, uh, i don't forget that you know but the thing is i realize i went into this particular uh, pathway of corporate because i want to gain approval from my parents now, I, I was raised in Indonesia, okay? And when I was growing up, uh, I, was, uh, I have three siblings. Each one of us is being catered or being cared for by babysitters, okay? So I didn't have that deep connection with, with my parents. However, deep inside, I was longing to have that connection i was longing to have that deep yearning oh my my mother my father please look at me i want to get a validation from you and that was the, the childhood pattern that keeps on going and going and going until i was 40 years old you know 35 years old and then i started to realize you know what um, this is why i'm looking for this. I'm trying to go into my, you know, the heights of my corporate career, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm actually looking for a validation for my parents subconsciously. And then when I realized that, that, you know, um, that I need to start to be able to accept the love that they can give, not the love that I'm expecting them to give me, if that makes sense. Say, for example, if my love language is having more quality time with my parents, but I didn't get that, I need to start accepting that, you know, um, that they are able to give me the one that I'm looking for, so I just have to accept it. Now I'm ready to, that's when, you know, uh, things that we are starting ready to heal in terms of uh, mm-hmm. the trauma.
0: Subhanallah, a lot there, very profound, and a lot to reflect on. I'll start from the last thing that you said, which is the idea that the recognition of one of the fundamental things that I think drives most people uh, is validation for their parents by their parents, because that's something that is one of the universal drivers. Every child wants and yearns for their mom and their dad to, you know, say that they're proud of them to actually be happy with them and these sorts of things. And it determines kind of your career path, as you said, and all these things. And even going for kind of accolades, you're not doing it necessarily for yourself, but you're doing it because you want at the end of the day to be able to say, hey, they'll be happy with me. And I've seen people who have not realized this until their 60s, you know, mid-60s, even into the 70s, where that was their whole life's focus was to get that validation. Mm. Uh, And oftentimes they didn't see it. And and the interesting thing that you said was that it's about recognizing that and recognizing that they may have not been given you this validation such that you're able to go off on your own journey. But here with the, part, the healing part, I think it's so vital. That's why faith, and in particular Iman Billah, and that was the first topic of, this is all relationships, right, this month. And that was the first topic of relationship with Allah being that foundation. Because the love that you're seeking, that every person is seeking, the validation that every person is seeking, the pleasure everyone seeking, is found with Allah Azza wa And that's the beautiful thing And it's that transition From seeing parent Mom and dad as God Obviously not in an idolatrous sense Like a person actually thinks that But they act like that Because at the end of the day Everything stops there But actually going beyond that And saying no They're not my rub. Allah is my rub. And finding yourself in that relationship Because Allah truly Wants what is best for you, and will wants to bring out the best in you, and so there's this lifestyle, there's the commandment, there's the the sunnah to nabawiya, there's this blueprint and framework to live a life that will be free and rid of all the difficulties and the pains and the hardships. So much of it by following this path, and then when you're in this path, that ibadah journey to Allah of coming closer and closer and feeling and witnessing that experience, and I think. That is such an important motivation or push in that direction even to come out of that shell. And a lot of people, they operate in it for so long, subhanAllah. Mm. Uh, The second thing I want to reflect on is uh, something we spoke about actually outside of this context. And this is beginning a bit more concrete. And first of all, I also want to say thank you for being vulnerable with us and sharing with us from your personal story. Um, And I think that that's something I speak for everyone. That was something that was very moving for us and also something that we could see ourselves in you know, and make our own analogies. Uh, but one thing you mentioned and you kind of hinted to it was the idea that oftentimes when you're a child and you show anger, the instinctual response of a parent is to be demonstrating that it's not okay for you to be angry in my presence. So like in your yep. case, literally put into a different room or when you, know, you go over here or you go over there. And then eventually over time, the person learns that they are not worthy of attention, of validation, of love, or even of relationship if they're angry. Mm. And so then it leads them to learn to repress anger rather than deal with it in a healthy way or express it in a way that could be better or like in an assertive way or these sorts of things. Mm. And so then you have a passivity that starts to form in a person, Mm. that they're very passive, they're docile, people take advantage of them easy because any moment anyone comes and it evokes that anger response. Someone comes into your territory, someone takes something that, you know, it's supposed to be yours, someone is is doing something that you don't like, you're afraid to get angry because of this. And so that weakness that you may feel, I'm so passive, I'm not assertive, I don't know how to speak up for myself, can actually be traced down to that. Uh, Is there anything else in terms of other emotions that are suppressed in childhood or other ways maybe that this anger suppression can manifest itself? Can you shed some light on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is something that I perhaps deal with on a regular basis with my clients um, in, in these conversations. That you know, anger is is actually, you know, all emotions are healthy emotions. Are healthy emotions to be able to be felt and expressed, right? Allah has created those emotions for, for reasons because um, they are uh, human beings is uh, an emotional uh being, right? Um now there there, there are many in terms of the, the two typical ones that is uh quite common, sadness and anger, right? And what is very typical for us when we show anger is, you know, go to your room and just come out when, you're, when you are ready to engage. Or when you're crying, you're such a sook. Stop crying, especially for men, right? Stop crying. Don't be like a baby. Don't be like a wuss, right? And then we don't want to show that sadness anymore now what's gonna ha- what's what's interesting thing happened in the um, in the in the nervous system in the neurological wiring is is that connection to that particular emotion is not being uh, matured so what's going to happen is a person who has suppressing their anger for example that connection is not fully established in the brain wiring also the case with uh with uh, with the sadness part as well that's why, for example, um, men has difficulties. I'm, I'm just generalizing. Men has difficulties in terms of expressing their sadness and being connected to 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 people uh, through a more empathic way because we are not being um, wired to show sadness. And when we are showing anger, we going over the top or being sup- being extremely suppressive, right? over the top in terms of rage, or being extremely suppressive in terms of just shutting everything down, all right? But, but the thing with emotion is, you allow the emotion just, you, you ride with the emotion basically. Uh, imagine emotion like a bell curve, okay? So when you feel the, the emotion in the body, you, you just allow them to be there without expressing it. Once you go down, then you allow yourself to express it uh, resourcefully. Assertiveness is coming from anger, right? Empathy is coming from sadness. You know, and, and that's the way, right? Um, the primary, those two are the ones that is very common to be suppressed mm. uh, and different between genders, right? Um, show of hands. Uh, now, the thing is, have a self reflection moments what are the emotions that you are comfortable with to, act, to be to feel and to express okay and i'm going to ask the questions who is here is feel comfortable with feeling anger and expressing the anger in a, in a resourceful way okay who is here is comfortable with feeling that sadness and expressing their sadness.
0: So all the women, none, none of the guys. Okay. All right.
1: Now, now the, the trajectory. The, project yourself as a parent. The emotion that we are comfortable with as a parent are the emotion that we are mm-hmm. that we will allow our children to feel and express in the homes later on. Right Right now, maybe you're still, you know, um, maybe a lot of us here right now are not parents yet. But the thing is, it's very important for you to be able to be comfortable with all range of emotions. Because if you're not feeling comfortable with anger right now, then when your children are showing their frustrations through crying and, you know, or rage or whatever the case may be, you're going to shut them down. And that energy in the body is still gonna be there and they're gonna be so upset and all that kind of stuff. right? And, 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 and the thing is, if we ask people to suppress it with anger, for example, they will come out, they will seep through. How they seep through is through passive aggressive conversations, through um, you know um, being very sarcastic with your friends and families, with your parents and all that. And suddenly you grunt in the, in the back of the Uh, You know in the back of your voice is like oh, why am I have to do this? You know all that kind of thing, right? So it's very important for us to have a healthy relationships with all spectrum of emotions Okay Uh, So yeah, that's
0: that Okay, I think we'll break up now for our group activity inshallah. So the idea is these two emotions that we got here from Sidki, sadness and anger I want us to discuss how we think Suppressing these emotions in childhood will affect us in our adult life. Clear suppression of anger and sadness, and how it relates. Number one thing is that a lot of people are talking about how through this kind of conversation, uh, they like no one ever thought about this before. Like no one had actually reflected on this aspect on these experiences. They just thought, oh yeah, that was bad, you know that whatever that happened to me, and you know putting it to the side, but then a lot of light bulbs are kind of firing in terms of, oh, that's the link between this and that, and that's why I might you know, find myself you know, very passive, or that's why I find myself you know, unable to express my emotions and these sorts of things. That's why I feel withdrawn. That's why I'm afraid of intimacy. That's why I'm afraid of close friendship or companionship. That's why I f- I'm very avoidant, or that's why I'm very clingy. That's why I'm very overbearing. That's why I'm always afraid of losing friends and, and, and family and I, you know, I get very sensitive in these sorts of things, right? Now, it's easy to just cruise along just with your general mates or just kind of at work, but where this really comes up is in marriage. Uh, and this is one of the most uh, you know, uh, important areas uh, that we need to really deal with these things beforehand uh, because in marriage is a time of great volatility. You're feeling exp- uh, and, and experiencing emotions you've never felt before in your entire life. Uh, And you're getting close to a person that you've never been that close to with anyone in your entire life. And these emotions, they're they're so volatile that a small thing said or a small thing interpreted in this way, it can really trigger those kind of very deep inside negative scripts or maladaptive patterns of dealing with emotions. And it can outburst in certain ways and different things and, and all these sorts of things. So um, that's one of the very important things I think that we need to think about. Uh, Because I didn't get to go around from the sisters, I'll just ask uh, one or two groups to put their hand up if they want to share with us just kind of general reflection that they got from everything. Okay, so the way of dealing with conflict, if you've suppressed anger, is just kind of the silent treatment. Avoidant, yeah. Okay, addiction. Okay, we didn't touch on this, but I'm happy you mentioned this. There's a a psychologist by the name of Gabor Matei. Gabor Matei. Who here has heard of him before? Show of hands. few people. So he's a Holocaust survivor and um, uh, he's actually a pro-Palestinian uh, Jew as well. Um, but anyways, it has nothing to do with this. But he uh, actually is one of the pioneers of this link between early childhood trauma and attachment injuries and addiction. You know, before people used to blame the addict. Like, oh, you were just a bad kid who just got into this and then now, you're, you know, now you deserve what you got. Actually, those bad kids often will get off that stuff because they're just doing it for thrill-seeking to experience it once or not twice. They're not actually trying to fill a void with it, and they usually come out of it. It's the people who are broken inside. It's the people who've had that trauma. Those are the ones who are the ones who become addicted and psychologically and emotionally dependent on these substances. And he interestingly said, uh, he said uh, 90% of people are addicted to things and 10% of people are lying. It's the idea that addiction is not just about, we spoke about this when we talked about addiction in a mental health month. Addiction is not just about substance abuse or drugs. It can be anything, right? One of the biggest other forms of addiction is, of course, pornography uh, throughout the world, not even just the Western world. And, you know, people are addicted to snacking. People are addicted to food. There's that meme about the fridge has all the answers, right? Like, you find yourself, you don't know what to do, and for some reason you're just in front of the fridge, you open it up, I don't even know why <laughs> I opened up the fridge or the pantry. Like I was just thinking what I need to do. Instinctively, there's that something you're trying, to void you're trying to fill, and you're going to quick dopamine hits. That's what chips are, that's what candy is, right? It's quick, easy, feel-good substances that you can take, right? Now obviously it's not as damaging as drugs because it doesn't mess with your mind as much. It could be damaging health-wise. But it's the same cycle of not feeling fulfillment, not feeling like life is fulfilled, and so finding the escape through quick dopamine hits. Technology addiction is a real thing. Social media addiction and these sorts of things as well. Um, so yes, uh, addiction is definitely a huge link to this aspect. To those who are interested, I do encourage you can check uh, him out in some of his videos as well uh, about attachment injuries and these sorts of things. Excellent, Jacques <laughs> khair. Any other sister group that wants to share? Okay, would you you guys find this uh, activity helpful? Did you guys talk about what we were supposed to talk about? Yes, okay, excellent, I got thumbs up, excellent. Uh, Last thing I want to mention as well, there was an interesting point that one of the brothers mentioned um, about the link between anger and sadness. So they were saying that um, anger and sadness are actually connected and that um, when a person is angry and they suppress their anger, then they become sad as a result of that. So say, for instance, you're at work and someone says something about you that you didn't like, and instead of being able to be better serve about it or be able to actually say oh i didn't like that or you know that wasn't nice or something like this and rectify it you're quiet withdrawn then you go home and you ruminate about it you're angry about it then you feel sad sadness is usually linked to something that you lost You you lost something you feel sad you lose respect you lose dignity you lose whatever it may be honor or whatnot then it makes the person sad and that sadness can get built up and it can lead to anger and we spoke about how um, you know, mass shootings and serial killers and all of these kinds of, you know, grotesque forms of violence. Often at the root of it is you see an abused child, or a child that was not allowed to express this, that, or the other, and that's sad. And you see a lot of the in these kind of, um, in their, in the, when they write about, you know, uh, themselves in a journal, they they're sad, they're lonely, and that leads to that resentment, anger, and then acting out in that violent way. So it's something that's really important for us to really think about. How has my childhood and my journey with my emotions, how has that been with my, you know, when I was a kid? And how is it relating to the way I relate to others now? Uh, and it's something that's really definitely important when it comes to relationships. Um, I pass it over to Sidki for any concluding thoughts, inshallah, and then yep. we'll break. Uh, there's a special guest we have just for two minutes, inshallah, for a video. Actually, I'll ask Yusuf, inshallah, if you can, while Sidki's making his concluding remarks, if you can set up the video, inshallah, just to save us some time. And uh, please give us oh, yes. your concluding thoughts. Uh, I know okay. you spoke to some people as well. Uh, so yeah, just a few minutes inshallah of closing remarks.
1: Okay, um, okay, Bismillah. One other thing that uh, I, I touch upon in the, um, in the group conversation was start to create an awareness of our own patterns, right? The, especially the, if we want to be able to transform ourselves, to heal ourselves, etc. it's always start with awareness. So one of the things that I actually encourage um, my clients to do and the people to do is start journaling, right? Uh, and then, uh, especially when there's heavy emotions coming up, when there's a big emotion coming up, start journaling them. Even if you don't understand or, the, or you can't recall a particular memory, why is it coming you know, um, from, from the past? That is okay, it will may come a bit later on, whatever the case may be. But understand that there's something in there that needs to be checked in. Imagine emotion is like a, a, a dashboard on the car. Emotion is, um, is a fuel that lights up, for example. Um, you know, it, it's a time that you need to check in within yourself that, uh, you know, something needs to be, to be investigated underneath. It's not a, um, yeah, emotion is just basically a signpost. Whatever is going on, your pattern, current pattern is a signpost of what's going on inside. So whenever there's something going on, self-reflection, you know, ask Allah in in our prayers um, and all that. And and, and just, you know, having that thought. Um, And trauma, one of the things that I was reading um, earlier uh, a week ago, trauma doesn't end with the death of a person, but trauma will be passed on to the next generations to be resolved. Now, it is our responsibility right now to start healing our traumas so we don't pass on to the next generations, to our own children later on, right? We have a big duties right now, right? To be able to to heal from the past and, and make sure that um, we are raising kids who are fully functional, integrated, um, you know, future leaders of 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 Muslim ummah,
0: inshallah. So that's very well said. An excellent conclusion to this evening. Uh, I hope that was beneficial, Uh, uh, and I I I think it was. I mean, for me personally, it was very beneficial. And I know speaking uh, to a lot of the brothers, this was really eye-opening. And as I said, it was something that a lot of people don't really think about too deeply. But I think it's something that's really important when we think about our relationships, which is the theme for this month. So officially, that brings us an end to the uh, theme of relationships. With November And so that leaves us with our finale Inshallah ta'ala Next week for the last faith circle of the year Before we take our summer break Uh, It's been an incredible journey Alhamdulillah for this year Uh, We've gone through transformations and changes and whatnot. So please do uh, inshallah join us for our finale 30 minutes inshallah will be uh, From just myself uh, Just advice for the summer inshallah Just general advice uh, to everyone Myself and everyone inshallah As we go into the summer Uh, And then, inshallah, we're going to have a Kahoot uh, quiz that will cover material that was basically throughout this year, inshallah. Um, And uh, we'll have some prizes there. uh, And then we'll have some food as well. Uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, very kindly sponsored uh, by one of the attendees, alhamdulillah. Um, And uh, yeah, so I look forward to seeing you guys there, inshallah. Please do try to come out for next week.